I'm spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Welcome to a new spin on autism. Answers with host and international speaker and performer, Lynette Louise. Besides working on her doctorate in psychophysiology, Lynette has raised eight children, six adopted, and four of them falling somewhere on the autism spectrum. Laugh with her, cry with her, as she talks to both experts and parents and takes you through the often confusing, sometimes frustrating, sometimes overwhelming, but always fascinating world of autism. Hello and welcome. This is a new spin on Autism Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as the Brain Broad. This is the show where we have a question, we try to come up with an answer, but half the time I forget the question, but I always remember the answer, and you know, I like to have a little fun. Okay, and let's get straight to talking to our creative guest. So today's question is, why do we create music when we're trying to get the word out? So that's, I know it's a kind of a convoluted question, but it, it works because I also talk to a director and I've talked to authors and we talk to storytellers and we've talked to poets. So it's really about um, parents finding themselves in a particular situation and then ending up doing something with it. And sometimes that something can change the world, can reach the world. Sometimes it's just for your own backyard. So today we're talking to Nettie. She's got one name, rather like Madonna. Um, and she's probably just as wonderful as Madonna. And don't give me a hard time. I like Madonna. I think she's <laughs> awesome. She had chutzpah. She went out there. She did her thing. And then she continued to do it. And you all bought her records. So come on. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> Nettie's here. She's going to talk to us about how she ended up being a singer-songwriter and what that has to do with autism. So hi, Nettie. Welcome to the show. Let's spell your name because that way people can find you more easily. So it's N-E-D-I, mm-hmm. right? D like Daniel, yes. Awesome. And then your website is nettysings.com. Exactly. Beautiful. Now, so what made you decide to be a singer-songwriter? Were you always, was it in your soul as a child? And how does that relate to autism? I was always a singer-songwriter from from very little, but the story about how uh, we have an autism song is an interesting one. In 1984, I was living in Europe, and the United Nations uh, declared 1984 the year of the disabled and uh, asked people to submit songs uh, for an album to spread the word about the year of the disabled. And when they declare a year, then all different countries uh, compete to show that they're uh, they have social programs for it. So I wrote this song called Not a One of Us. And uh, the words say, there's not a one of us that doesn't need to contribute. There's not a one of us that doesn't need to share. There's not a one of us that doesn't need acceptance. And uh, the woman said, oh, this is perfect, but nobody else has uh, submitted songs. So it went on my first solo album. And I didn't know that I was pregnant at the time with a boy that would be autistic. My son Matt was born with autism in 1984, because God is a God of irony. And uh, <laughs> I like that. Say it again. <laughs> you know what? That's what Matt said to me two days ago. He said, "God is a God of irony." <laughs> and um, then I was continuing in my singer-songwriter career, and I took 19 years off to be a single mom of an autistic son. <laughs> and getting back in the studio in 2009, when my son was. Uh, 25 years old, um, I was near the end of my album, and I thought, you know, I want Matt to play on this. Matt can play something on auto-harp. You just strum that 
note and we'll edit it in. So I brought my son to the studio. He played some auto harp and then we had a couple hours more work. And so he now is auto there. harp an instrument that he plays or he just... I, 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 actually, my doctor had given him an auto harp because it's, it's one of the simplest things to play. Um, so he had just started making some strumming. He, there isn't any instrument that, that he was good on, but I, I wanted him to be able to join in with the family because I'm a musician. And sometimes we play together at the house. So um, he could play some chords w- w- with the direction. He was new to the auto harp. But I wanted him on the album. I wanted to say that he played auto harp. So uh, he played. At his, his part was over. We had a couple more hours, and he was sitting there waiting. And the producer started muttering to himself. Uh, it was like, autism, autism. Like he figured out that Matt was autistic, and he didn't know what to do about it. And I said... Well, how about you get him a sandwich while he waits? And I thought, uh, people need the same thing, no matter who they are. And that reminded me that this song, Not a One of Us, needs to be out there. Because when we see somebody's different, we forget what we have in common. Yeah, exactly. For- the simple stuff. Like, yeah. sometimes when I'm working with a child and you're so busy trying to get them to try a word or do this or do that, you just forget they might have to go pee. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the simple thing. And this poor child's doing the pee-pee dance. You're like, is that a stim? Is that a stim? No. <laughs> They're like us. They're the same. <laughs> and what they most need is a feeling of love and belonging, feeling that the world is good and that they're good. And I already had a slow song in the album. The album finished up. But then last year, um, I thought, you know, a lot of people would like this song. And I was performing it live, and my son uh, filmed it with the camera. Matt filmed it with the camera. And then I made a Kickstarter uh, project out of it because it takes money to record. And um, the response was tremendous. Uh, It went... All over, we got the money very quickly. Kate Winslet uh, wrote me a letter that it was exactly what the Golden Hat Foundation tries to promote, the fact that there's intelligence in there, that there's people in there that have something to say, and um, Everyone Matters, which is uh, an organization that Nicole Kidman heads, and it has a lot of celebrities like Paul McCartney and Ellen DeGeneres and something like uh, just like a dozen of, of people uh, on the A-list, um, they published the song out to their list of three million people, and the of all the people that reacted, I think the thing that got to me the most was uh, a 58-year-old woman in Colorado, an adult with autism, and she wrote me this long letter that uh, said, we need a civil rights movement for children and adults so that we're accepted as people, and this could be our anthem. And... Uh, We've since become friends on Facebook. It it was really something to me uh, how people responded. And then when we were done and made the video, I asked for photographs, uh, and people sent family photographs. And you can see the love, like in your family, Lynette, because I saw you on YouTube, Mm -hmm. that you can see the the love and the belonging. You can tell that, that a child is different, but you can see that they fit in, that there's some place for them to be. And people sent photos for my video of Not a One of Us from Australia and from Europe and from America. And uh, that's the video, that's one of the videos that went up. Oh, wow, that's awesome. That's really awesome. Well, how exciting. And is that, that's pretty much the goal, right? 
just to get yeah. the word out there that we're all the same, even and though we're, we're different. Yeah, and there's a place for everybody. I looked at, at the other songs on, on YouTube about autism, and a lot of them are like, um, I, wish I, I wish I knew what's going on with you, a parent that's kind of grieving that they can't reach them. And there's a couple that take the point of view from, the, from a child saying, I wish I could tell you what I'm going through. But this one is, my song is, we're all the same. We all need the same thing. That's awesome. I really love that. And I, and I love its point and I love its words. And um, we're going to play it. And, and before we do that, did it do anything for your relationship with your child to look at it this way? To realize oh. you'd written something a long time ago and then bring it forth into the album experience. Like, did it, Was there um, any extra something that was born out of that, or was it all already there for you? You know, that's going to be hard to put into words, but he was very proud of it. He did the artwork on the album. Uh, he's an artist, and there are three pieces of uh, art that we did with the Kickstarter campaign. He has a simple drawing of a lonely boy sitting crying on a park bench that he drew when he was 11. And he, he does speak fluently now, but he, the speech was really slow in coming, so he, he put his feelings into the pictures that he drew. So that, that picture is in there, um, in the package for the CD. And then when he was 16, he drew this picture of uh, a little girl facing a huge, complicated, horrible monster, and it's a monster made out of every kind of dragon and teeth and swords, and it's, it's just like a whole world of monsters altogether, and that shows a lot of what he was going through when he was 16. And then the cover, the front and back cover, are these beautiful, peaceful cranes that Matt drew when he was 18. And that kind of shows to me the progression of what he went through, and, and now he's, he's quite comfortable in himself as an adult. And I was happy to have his artwork be part of the project, just like Maybe. I was happy to have him be, be part of the, uh, the video. Music. Yeah, the video and the music. And so really, um, sounds like it was already there, and it was just another vehicle for you to, um, to say, hey, we're all the same. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. All right. We're going to play your song. Thank you. There's not a one of us who doesn't need to contribute. There's not a one of us who doesn't need to share. Not a he or she, a you or me, not longing to cry out, I am here, I'm here. There's not a one of us that doesn't feel uncertain, and every one of us still needs to be assured. We have.
books are awesome. I just love it. Um, tell me how people can find you on Facebook or a website, or where, where do you want to send them? What do you want to talk about that they might be interested in that's coming around the corner for you? Uh, well, people can find me, N-E-D-I, on, on Facebook. They can find my fan page, or they can contact me personally. And the website is nettysings.com. Now, if you enter the promo code right above the picture of not one of us with those beautiful cranes that my son drew, there's a place for a promo code, and you type in N-E-D-I there, and I've set it up special so that the price for, for the single goes from 99 cents down to zero. So oh, cool. if, you, if you remember, Nettie... Uh, that makes you our great guest giveaway. <laughs> is that, I am a great guest. You're giving it away yeah. to everyone who knows <laughs> Nettie. Giveaway, giveaway, giveaway. Okay, awesome. Go on. <laughs> and um, if, you, if you want to buy a hard copy of the... CD as a gift for someone because it, it's it's comforting and people have said that it, it gives them courage kind of too. Uh, if you'd like to get it as a gift for someone, then you can click through and and that's four ninety nine, which is about the cost of it. So I it's not a money making thing. I really want it to be out there. And the sheet music is available. The backing tracks are available. Uh, for free if your choir wants to sing it, if you want to sing it. Somebody from Canada wrote me about three weeks ago. She's a contestant for The Voice. She's in the tryouts for the TV show The Voice, and she asked for the sheet music so that she could sing it if she gets on The Voice. So I really want people to sing this. Uh, I'm not charging them licensing fees for that. And you sing, Lynette, so maybe you can sing it in your house. That would be cool. Um, so you also have a book coming out. Quick, quick, quick plug. We only got a yes. minute. My son and I recorded 25 dialogues uh, about everything from dating to acupuncture. My son uh, completed college. He graduated with a bachelor's degree May 20th, and he worked for Disney Animation already. He had one job with them. So he has gone from um, where they had very low expectations for him that he would he would never read uh, more than the word danger, they were going to teach him the word danger, um, to not only learning how to speak, but at age 28, it took a little longer than usual, but he's living independently, and he's in his dream career, and uh, we wrote a book about how it all happened. It's called Inside and Out, 25 dialogues about autism between a mother and her successful adult son, and we will be putting that out um, in January. We will be putting out the word about it. Well, that. Awesome. So people keep your ears out for that. And maybe we'll yes, and if you, can, if you connect with me on Facebook, then, then I will uh, keep you updated on that. That's beautiful. All right. Thank you so much for being here, and thank you so much for being a champion. And, and, Lynette, uh, you're my hero. You're a champion. I wish I could clone you, and there are millions of you out there. That would be the oh, best thank possible you. I got you. All right. You are listening to A New Spin on Autism Answers. <laughs> I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host otherwise known as the Brain Broad. That was the uh, writer and singer of Not a One of Us. Beautiful song with a beautiful message. And come around the corner, we got something really cool. We got somebody who's not going to talk about what to listen to, but somebody who's talking about vision therapy. Don't forget to stay to the end, because that's when I will put it all together in Stories from the 
Okay, okay, okay. It's time for the great guest giveaway. And today's great guest giveaway guest is Dr. Lynn Hellerstein. I hope I said her name right. Gosh, I hope I said her name right. Okay. The reason she's on today is because she's in division. And I don't know how many of you have actually considered the concept of vision is one of the sensory um, skills that your children are struggling with. But it's really, it's very prevalent in autism that kids can have problems with depth perception, with uh, trying to learn how to read, and, and there's a thing called Erlen where it's called Erlen, but it basically just means that they see movement in the letters that are on the page, and uh, it's a processing issue. And so dealing with vision seemed like a really good idea, and I was looking around to see who I wanted to talk to for that. And I found this lady who's written a very interesting book. And so I thought that her take on this might be just as delightful as can be. So hello. Do you go by Dr. Lynn or the whole name? And thank you for being here. Well, it's either Lynn or Dr. H. <laughs> we all end up end up shortened, don't we? Okay, so Dr. H. But if you want to look her up, it's Dr. Lynn Hellerstein, and it's H-E-L-L-E-R-S-T-E-I-N, and I will also put a link, of course, and we'll get her at the end to give us all her contact info. But for now, let's jump right into vision. So talk to us. Give us a kind of a, a quick hit on how you think vision impacts the autistic child. Well, it's very interesting in that in my over 30 years of working with kids with special needs, um, I find with uh, those patients with autism, many, many, many of those kids actually prefer visual learning styles, yet they have challenging vision problems. Seems That's to be a little... Huh? Yeah, it's like an oxymoron. I mean, they learn better visual than language, but they have, and you mentioned a few things, uh, double vision, uh, depth perception problems, difficulty understanding where things are in space, they're light sensitive, they often are staring at things or won't look at you. So there's a number of vision-related problems that are present in the uh, autistic uh, community. And, um, you know, the first question often comes up, well, how do you even examine a kid who can't tell you which is better one or two, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a typical eye eye test? And we have lots of different types of instrumentations and and, uh, different techniques to really get some idea how your child with autism might be seen, even if they don't have the language to help us out on that. Okay, so, so what's an example of that? Like what would be a technique that you might use just to help the moms envision it? Sure. Uh, we have an instrument, for example, called the retinoscope, and it looks like a special flashlight. Using that with just lenses, like glasses, but they're in a little lens bar, we can have them look at a movie, look at a game, look at a picture, whatever, and we can use those, uh, the retinoscope and lenses and get a pretty good idea how near or far-sighted your child is and whether they need glasses. Oh, and this is really important. I, I just had a, a little 8-year-old patient come in, and in, uh, he's been diagnosed with uh, autism. He has very little language, does a lot of the typical autistic kinds of behaviors, flapping and poking eyes, things like that. And so everybody looked at it as autism. Well, his mom brought him in. And I measured him, and he was extremely, extremely farsighted. And he'd never been examined before. We gave him some glasses, and he started looking around at things. And his mom almost, she was in tears. 
even though he couldn't speak, you could see he was connecting to his world, a world that he had never been in focus with before. That's interesting. You know, I, you know, there's this one boy that I work with, and he, when he would put on his glasses, could see so well he didn't like it. And so it was really hard for us to convince him that he should wear his glasses because he felt like, or I don't really know why, but it seemed like it was because he didn't want to be that connected. And then finally we got him convinced he should keep them on, and we saw a similar kind of change. He just sort of slipped into the world differently. He did, and sometimes we have to really modify the prescription. What we measure is not always what we prescribe uh, because they sometimes can't tolerate it. It's like too clear. It's too much. It's almost too, they get overstimulated too quickly. That's what I was leading to. So do you do that, sort of just make it a little clearer, then a little clearer? How do you adjust it? Uh, Like this little guy I just mentioned as my patient, I did not prescribe the entire prescription because I was very concerned how he'd uh, be able to tolerate the lenses. So I gave him half the prescription and then uh, have him come back. Often he's doing well, recheck him, and then change the glasses again. So we'll sometimes kind of wean him into certain glasses. Uh, We'll also look at special tints because sometimes they're light sensitive or prisms. There's a variety of tools that we can use to really help a child with autism, not just autism, with you know any type of special needs, really learn how to connect visually with the world. And, you know, it, that's so important because the eyes lead the body. Actually, that's pretty interesting because usually, at least granted, I started this journey, you know, in the early 80s, so a lot has changed since then, since then. But when I would take my kids, to see somebody for vision or hearing or whatever, it always seemed to be that that particular doctor only sort of understood one piece of it. They didn't. You didn't go to somebody who who would say prisms and tints and also just your straight up. Are they seeing the world? Period. Um, so it's interesting to me that you're dealing with all of the above. Do you do vision therapy? Yes, that's actually my special area of interest is in vision development and vision therapy. And so um, my practice uh, includes patients of all ages. I started just seeing uh, kids, pediatrics, uh, with learning problems, poor eye-hand coordination, poor tracking skills, double vision. Uh, and as those kids got better, they started sending me their grandparents who had had strokes or had been in car accidents oh, and suffered brain injuries. And um, I knew what worked through visual development, and so I started applying some of these same concepts to the adults. And so I really got heavily involved in working with brain injury patients. I actually did some uh, internationally published research on the effects of vision therapy on improving uh, people's vision. Um, we'll also see athletes. You know, vision's a continuum, uh, starting with yeah, very you know, basic actually- skills. And, and when you think about athletes, my goodness, I mean, if you don't have good hand-eye coordination, you are not an athlete. <laughs> they go hand in hand. That's totally true, and it's the same type of philosophy, just at a different level um, of performance. And so um, we'll work with you know kids very low functioning all the way to your superstar athletes, um, just giving them the best visual processing and visual skills possible so that they can perform at whatever type of activity or lifestyle they're interested in doing. So what do, you, what do you see as the biggest or the most common issue that you deal with when dealing with autism and vision? 
You know, that's a great question because it, it's almost like me asking you, so what is the biggest problem kids with autism have? <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? And I it love is. it, and they always ask it. <laughs> right. And is it, is so it how are same, you going to deal with it? <laughs> the same way you would deal with it. Well, you know, each kid's different, and uh, yeah. it's very unique. Um, we, we just go through the basic development of vision. Can they see? Are their eyes healthy? That's, you know, basic 101 eye care. But then we really want to look. Are they able to look and change their fixation and pay attention, track, focus, use both eyes together? Um, how is their eye-hand coordination? And, and we keep uh, evaluating as far as we can go developmentally and um, emotionally. Uh, sometimes all we can get is one little scope of our retina scope and the exam's over, you know, because if the child's eyes aren't open, it's a little hard to check their vision. They'll open their eyes, but there's a lot of things we can do. That's very interesting. Now, my son had an issue when he was young where he could, and he still has it to some degree because his hand eyes so poor, but he would be aiming for um, something and, and hit to the right or the left of it. So he could never quite get what he was going after. Um, would you call that a depth perception issue? Or, and I, I know it could be many things. It could be the cerebellum. It could be like an intention trip. It could be blah, blah, blah. But if, if you were to have somebody come in and they're quite low functioning, and the first thing you notice is whenever they're you know, trying to aim at something, they're a little to the right or left of it, what would be your go-to on that? Well, of course, first, again, I, I want to check and see if and what they can see and if they're using both eyes. And then the next place I'd really be looking at is their visual spatial skills. So just like you, you mentioned, you could put a little object in front of them and they keep grabbing to the right or to the left. And we'll do an evaluation to really see if certain kinds of lenses or prisms. Everybody's kind of looked through a prism where you can see a rainbow, it bends the light. Well, we can use prisms in a certain way that actually help people perceive space differently. So if somebody's always off to one side or, let's say, uh, always hitting their left leg on the door jam because they misjudged that door jam, um, we can sometimes find a prism prescription of glasses or ther vision therapy to really help the mismatch. It's a mismatch of systems. Very cool. That's very cool. All right, so talk to us about your book. Well, thank you. Well, um, 2009, I wrote my first book called See It, Say It, Do It, The Parents and Teachers Action Guide to Creating Successful Students and Confident Kids. And it's all about vision and more, really. See it is visualize, say it is uh, declare, do it, take action. So it's what big businesses do to run their company. They create a vision, they have a mission statement, declaration, and then they do it. And the book's all about empowering your kids to learn how to change the mindset, number one, how to visualize, and then there's a whole chapter on understanding vision like we're speaking about today, what is tracking and focusing and things like that. Um, I wrote this book because after, again, 30-plus years of being in private practice, I believe we're, I'm only impacting the tip of the iceberg of kids that have vision problems. I mean, one out of four kids in a normal population have vision problems. And not everybody gets to the eye doctor, and not everybody has the option of vision therapy. And so my real goal is to get the big message of the importance of vision being our dominant sense for learning, and that 
It's so important, and it's trainable. It's really the brain we're training. We're not training eyeballs. It's all about the brain through the visual system. Right, the whole processing of it. The whole processing, right. So that was my first book. And right after that, I came out with a second book called See It, Say It, Do It, Organize It. It's to help parents um, organize their kids' lives or organize their own lives. But it's not just a to-do checklist. It's using the See It, Say It, Do It process again. Too often you give a kid a checklist, and they won't do it. It's not their list. They're not interested in doing their chores. But if you go through a process, gee, if you did your homework, how would that be for you? How would you look? How would you feel? How did that, what, what, what do you say? And a lot of times they say, man, I'm great. Well, there's their declaration. <laughs> and then we work backwards. So what are the things we need to do to get to that end result? It's, again, like it's like a big business. Here's the vision. Here's the... The result of uh, buying a new office, here's what it'll look like. Now, what are the steps that we have to take to get there? And and you'll find organization skills really start shifting when you um, implement that process. And then yeah, the the whole, new... yeah, the whole thinking backwards or moving backwards, is it was mind-blowing for me when I first put it in place as a parent, actually. I was like, okay, I want to get them to school on time. <laughs> right? right. And then working backwards from there was so much easier to get clear on what I had to do than it was when I just kept trying to push them out the door. So it's a brilliant technique. It's awesome. Yeah, that's a great example. Uh, And just, you know, athletes talk about keep your eye on the goal kind of thing. When Mm -hmm. you see the end result, you see why you're doing it, then you move through it. Otherwise, you get caught up in the minutia, which is what you all do. Um, And then my third book is 50 Tips to Improve Your Sports Performance. So it's a fun little tip book that you could take, you know, with the kids, the soccer kids, and you could be on the field and, okay, everybody, let's warm up and let's, you know, practice our tracking real quick and get ready so we're right on focus for the ball. And and so it's a real fun little tip book that uh, actually we're in the middle of the launch right now. Well, what I love about that, well, it'll let me help you launch. What I love about that is that, you know, I do play therapy with kids and, Anytime you can take the therapy and put it inside of fun and play and repetition that naturally comes from fun and play, um, you get more mileage than when you sit down and do exercises. So um, I, I just love that you've got a book that's got a bunch of little tips and sort of combines the vision with the, the games. Yeah, thank you, and I'm glad you brought it up because it is about fun. I mean, there's brain research that shows that we just all know, but there's research to show that learning takes place uh, better, quicker when there's fun. Absolutely. And so that's really I remember everything I enjoy. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's right. (laughs) You know what else is is something that I I always find interesting and I want to bring up since we're doing vision? is the whole, everybody understands, or most people now, understand that there's a sensory integration disorder uh, built into the whole brain disorder of autism. It's one of the components. It's made its way into the DSM-5. Um, so we're, we're recognizing it. We're saying, yes, there's a sensory issue, and there's a, you know, something that has to be dealt with. And when we were kids, we were taught what our five senses were, and it was all broken down. And yet, we, even though we say it's the autistic kids that don't generalize, uh, you know, as a community of, of parents, we often don't generalize it because they'll say to me, well, what is that, and what does that entail? And, and they don't actually think of smell, sight, and sound. 
often because they see the kids, um, you know, hitting their body or something, they've sort of already been aware of the body piece, the feel piece, but they completely leave out the senses that are our primary ones that we knew about from the get-go. So this is a piece of that sensory integration disorder when you're dealing with vision. And I bring that up because I'm wondering, have you ever worked with somebody that um, you were helping with their vision and then you saw improvement in their auditory system? Oh, that happens a lot. Uh, I actually have an OT, sensory integration OT, in my office because it's so well integrated. Uh, We want to treat it that way as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, to get back real quickly to one of your comments that, you know, people just forget about vision, it gets even more confusing because over and over again, many of these kids are being told that they see 20-20, and therefore people think that it's perfect eyesight. It's like a kid can hear, but he can't process what he hears. Two different problems. But uh, your question about audition, um, we will often see changes in other systems as we improve. For example, if we teach somebody how to focus and track better, their attention gets better. They're listening better. Um, One of the demonstrations that I'll do with teachers when I speak to them about vision, I can use prisms to create double vision. And so I'll show them a demo. And the first thing most of them will say to me, they don't talk about the double vision, they don't talk about blurriness, or they can't read. They say, wow, it's noisy in here. Well, I mean, I I totally get it, because I went for auditory integration therapy, and uh, and I was able to process faces afterwards and couldn't before and recognize color, um, skin color, and I hadn't been able to do that before. So I I saw the reverse of that where they were working on how I process sound, and I got a visual improvement. So I figured it had to go that if you were working on the visual system, you could get an auditory improvement, or I suppose even smell or anything. It's all connected. It just all cascades. Well, it is. You know, we have different systems, but it's all one brain. Right. And it's not isolated into parts. I mean, there's different areas that, you know, assume certain responsibilities, but integration of all those areas is what makes us function. And which uh, might be why we can get improvement from so many different therapies and why it's so confusing for the parents. And, again, back to your book, what I like here is so the parents are in this milieu of choices, and it is very confusing when they hear, oh, vision works or auditory works or, you know, which therapy should I choose? What's nice is if you can just grab a book that gives you some tools to just start playing and doing and watching and some knowledge about what you're looking at, and at least it's a place to start without spending a lot of money and a lot of time just to get going. It's a great place, and in my book and on my website, there is a free checklist. If you sign up uh, uh, to get email uh, newsletters, you can download a free checklist, and that's a great start. But I will tell you um, that kids should have their eyes examined every year, even if they're not special needs. Kids' eyes change very quickly, and so just preventatively, they should be fully evaluated, not a vision screening at the pediatrician's, but a full vision exam by a doctor of optometry. And mm-hmm. so that's one way to certainly pick that up. Um, and, you know, parents are coming in very wise. They, they've done a lot of research. Uh, sometimes that makes it harder for them. Sometimes they know the right questions to ask. But just do your research. Ask a lot of questions. But if I could give your parents two questions to ask 
their eye doctor to make sure they're at the eye doctor that might be helpful for them. Yes, please. Yeah, so number one question is, do you do vision therapy or refer to somebody who does? And that's important because if your doctor says, what, what do you mean? Or, I don't think I believe in it. For your kinds of kids that have special needs and these spatial problems, you want somebody who really provides vision therapy or works closely with that person. Right, absolutely. Yeah, and that's probably the number one question to ask. Uh, And then the other question I, I tell a lot of the teachers is to ask that doctor, do you do near testing? Now, you may not know what that means, but near point testing means doing a lot of eye tests within arm's length. Because typically, a lot of people go to the eye doctor, you know, they look at the 2020 chart, uh, they look, the doctor looks inside of their eyes, put drops in, and you're done. And the child's world is within arm's length. And if you're not doing most of your testing at arm's length, then you may have just missed most of the visual difficulties. That is awesome. That's, those are great tips, actually. That's really awesome. So, okay, 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 what are you going to give away? Well, uh, what I'd like to do is give a copy of, uh, you can download a copy of my new um, book, 50 Tips to Improve Your Sports Performance. We'll get you a link for that. And I might also, I'm not sure the date, uh, but uh, that uh, some of your listeners will be on, but uh, August 5th through 7th, I'm doing a free Kindle ebook promotion through Amazon. Oh, neat. So if you look up uh, an Amazon uh, under my book, 50 Tips to Improve Your Sports Performance, on those days, um, all your listeners could get a free download. Well, actually, this will go out on the 5th, so this is awesome. Um, And if you want, uh, if you missed that and nobody else has sent in, I'll take the first person who emails me at mom, number four, evermore, at juno, J-U-N-O dot com, and you put vision in the subject line. So that's mom, M-O-M, number four, evermore, at juno.com, vision in the subject line, and we'll make sure you get the link for the free download. Um, if you missed that, only one of those, though. <laughs> so right. everybody else line up at the, the Amazon Kindle free right. downloads. Okay, this is really awesome. Please tell them how they can get a hold of you or look you up. Surely. Um, my website is Lynn, L-Y-N-N, Hellerstein, H-E-L-L, E-R-S-T-E-I-N dot com, Lynn dot com. Um, and uh, please send me an email if you have questions. There is so much information for you uh, on my website, lots of uh, free newsletters that pertain uh, to your kids. I'm just in the process of publishing an article on vision and speech-language therapy and autism. Um, so that will be uh, available on my website soon. And, and one other thing I would like to add um, is if you're not in the Colorado area, which is where my practice is, uh, to find a doctor that uh, might be able to help you in your vision needs with your kids, you can use the website C-O-V is in victory, D is in dog, org. That's our national organization, and there's a located doctor um, piece of the website, so you could put in your city and state and try to find a doctor closer to you. That's awesome. Very useful. Well, thank you so much, Dr. H. Um, this is your moment in the sun to just give your last little tidbit. So if you have just this one last thing to say to parents that you see as sort of a personal bit of advice, 
not not even necessarily as a doctor so much, but just something you think that you'd like to share, and now's the time to do it. Well, thank you. Um, I'd like to leave with three three quick tips. You know, one is be preventive. Have your kids' eyes examined yearly by a good doctor of optometry. Number two, implement the see it, say it, do it process. It is so empowering for kids and learning and parents. Um, I think you'll have, you know, great success doing some of those activities. And number three is have fun. Life's like all that. about fun. Yeah, it's so all it, about fun. Whatever you can do to have fun is that's that's my intention for the year. And and you know what? If you're having fun, it's just contagious as can be. Then they end up having fun. Next thing you know, they actually want to learn from you. Okay, thank you so much for being here. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, guys, take advantage. Get the download. It's time for Stories from the Road. I did mention that uh, I had auditory training, and that that actually corrected my face blindness. Uh, Mostly corrected it. If I'm tired, it still comes back. But we had this uh, moment, I I may have talked about this in the past, but I'm not sure. So I was actually taking my son Dar for auditory training, and the the doctor said, "Um, actually, I'm going to give it to you for free. So apparently he could tell something I didn't know. And uh, we both did the two weeks of training, and I went home, and I saw my children's friend. And this is a friend that had been coming over, you know, once a week or so for a couple of years. And he came over, and my children, the other children were all teenagers, and, um, you know, so they're friends over, and I am in shock. I was completely unaware of something, and I was totally tickled because I completely wanted to tell my children what I'm observing. So finally, Omar leaves their friend, and I turn to my daughters, and I go, guys, did you know that Omar is black? And they're like, oh, mom, you're so weird. So what I'm trying to tell you is I have been literally colorblind when it came to people. And at some level, I had thought that that made me better than others. I'm going to tell you the truth. Um, You know, everybody else would be race aware and I wasn't. And so I thought that there was just something kinder in me. And it turned out I literally just didn't see it. And why that's kind of important is because brought an awareness to my life that I hadn't had before. The degree to which my personality had been shaped by my way of perceiving things. And then it being different from everybody else's, me trying to understand my difference, had made me feel in some ways superior to others. Um, I could have also felt inferior, and in many of my other issues, my depth perception issues, for example, I did. I felt inferior. So it isn't like I just thought I was the greatest thing, and that was the end of the story. There was like this mixed bag of tricks, all from my strange way of perceiving visually. Um, Now, my sound and my sight were mixed. I had synesthesia as a child, I saw Um, sound is color so clearly if one is corrected so will the other be and with today or at least if one is made worse so will the other be perhaps or vice versa but at any rate they'll be affected so today's question of if you correct one thing can you affect the whole person is sometimes yes unfortunately you can't approach 
mental health with that kind of simplicity. But that doesn't mean you can't give it the old college try. I have a few kids that I've worked with, so I'll just tell you one. Otherwise, this will be stories over and over again, many, many stories from the road, and there'll be no time for the show. But um, I'll tell you about this one boy. It was really adorable. He was only, oh, my gosh, he's the cutest little guy. Um, he was probably five. I'm going to say five, but he could have been a little younger. And he, oh, my God, he was really good at talking, um, been diagnosed as autistic, had terrible meltdowns, not the of the violent kicking kind, of the crying so deep and, and, and a horrible kind, you know, like his tears were just flow and flow. And um, he had all kinds of issues with trying to control his environment and, and you know, he, he was challenged. So I worked with him for the very first time, and I put a sensor on the back of his head. Now, I don't know if you know this, but you see at the back of your head. The information goes in through your eyes, travels down a pathway, all the way to the back of your head where it's uh, sort of put back together and then perceived, and then that information is thrown back forward again. So there's a lot of of pathway that's traveled for you to see or hear. And there's even places where they intersect and it all comes together and if it gets confused, you see what you should hear, you hear what you should see, and it's all a big mess, hence sensory integration. At any rate, I put the sensor on the back of the head because one of the things they had mentioned about him, and I was just getting to know his brain, but they had mentioned that he couldn't trace anything and that they were you know, trying to encourage him to try to trace something. It didn't seem like the most important problem in the world to me, but at least it was a clue. So I figured, well, there's probably something going on in his visual system. Stick the sensor on the back of his head and do my neurofeedback. And he's, you know, sitting and staring at the game. And for those of you who don't, haven't kept track and don't know what neurofeedback is, it's an EEG-driven um, bit of information given to the computer so it can run a computer game. And while it's running that game, uh, the information coming back from the game as in when it works and when it doesn't work tells your brain what to shift and change in order to empower the game. So that sort of creates change in the brain, not sort of does, create change in the brain. Just as all things do that you do throughout your day, when you get positive or negative information, your brain shifts and changes. So this is just a faster, more powerful way to give feedback to the person about their brain so that they can shift and change more quickly and with um, sort of a, a goal in mind, the goal that I see, say I'm going to affect, and then do. And so um, the sensor's on the back of his head. I figure we'll start with that. And he finishes his 15 minutes, and normally I do half an hour, but in this boy he was quite young and um, he was just getting used to the sensors. So he did 15 minutes. I took it off his head. He turned to me and he said, I have to write my name. And he literally sat down, like in, it wasn't even a sit, it was more like a scoop around and grab a piece of paper that had been behind him and there was a name chart beside that and he traced it. And it was like he had spent his life hearing his parents say, he can't trace anything, and feeling as if he could only trace, he'd be perfect. And I gave him the ability by sticking the sensor on the back of his head, and suddenly things straightened out. 
he kept that skill and gained many others. Um, I haven't seen him in forever. I hope I do because he was so cute. Um, when they're young, it goes pretty quick. What I can tell you, though, is that you can affect a system from many different ways. So just start with something. I got lucky. You know, I, that could have been just a small change. In this case, it was a complete correction in 15 minutes, but that's not the way it always goes. However, it always improves when you intend it to, and you don't give up. So grab something, work on vision, work on sound, work on perception. Just do it with love, do it with play. It'll, it'll take you somewhere. It'll take you somewhere you want to go. My name is Lynette Louise. I'm your story teacher host, and this is a new spin on Autism Answers. Thank you for listening, because without you, I'd just be talking to myself. Thank you for joining the show today. Lynette is the author of the refreshingly honest and at times hilarious new book, Miracles Are Made, A Real-Life Guide to Autism. You can purchase this and other materials by looking on the webtalkradio.net website and clicking on the covers. You can also click through to her Facebook page and check out any show you may have missed by looking in the archives. We'll see you soon for another edition of a new spin on autism. Answers. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. I can't hear you.